Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. I wanted to welcome you all um, to this evening. It's uh, um, a conversation around vaccines. Um, it's part of an ongoing conversation that uh, we uh, as a church family have started. Our aim is to bring information. Uh, we believe that uh, we owe it to ourselves to make informed decisions about um, an issue like this, that is a very serious issue, is an issue of life and death. And we're also aware that there is quite a lot of misinformation out there. And we wanted to clear the air about some of those things that are out there and, and also corroborate some of the things that, that, that are out there that are correct in terms of information. We believe uh, this is very foundational to who we are that as believers, we are ultimately led by the Spirit of God as we make decisions of any kind, and especially decisions of this nature. And so we believe that is the case, but we believe also that we should make those decisions with the correct information as we pray to the Spirit of God to direct us uh, in making the right decision. And I have a panel um, of people who are experts in their field, um, all all of them have a medical background. Um, they are all people that we know, all people we, we've, we have relationships with that go back many, many, many years. Uh, they are people that we trust, uh, and that's so important. Um, we trust them to tell us the truth, uh, to be open and above board. Uh, we also trust uh, their, their, their knowledge. They've spent years accumulating um, the knowledge that they have. And so I'm going to introduce them to you. Um, we have uh, um, someone who is very well known to those of us who are in Jesus House, because of course, she's one of our senior pastors there. Um, um, she's a specialist pharmacist. She's pharmacy head of technical services for Mid and South Sussex NHS Foundation Trust. And currently she's charged with the responsibility of for training and supervision of vaccination centers uh, within that trust. Uh, Pastor Denrile Rushewe. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. And then um, we have um, someone who, interestingly, I've known her, I think, from when round about uh, late 20s or very early 20s. Um, watched her de develop into a fine medical doctor. She's a consultant anesthetist. Um, she has a special interest in obstetrics. And um, it's very interesting because both, both of us had a very, very deep conversation about the vaccines as she was deciding whether she would take the vaccine or not. Um, and she'll tell, she'll she might tell you part of that story and how she arrived at where she arrived at. Um, she's currently working in intensive care, managing COVID patients. Um, and uh, I'd like you to make her welcome, um, Dr. Bukiojo. Um, our, next, our next 
panelist is um, uh, a consultant physician and medical oncologist. He's uh, the consultant medical oncologist at Milton Keynes University Hospital and also honorary consultant at Oxford University Hospitals. He's also a lecturer at Buckingham University. Um, his name has become rather famous in the United Kingdom, his surname, as a result of his nephew playing for a football team I wish he wasn't playing for. But make welcome Dr. Benga Saka. Good evening. And um, our next panelist is uh, um, a lady, dynamic lady. Uh, she's a, a GP, clinical director and regional lead for population health. Um, she's leading on vaccine strategy deployment for the Titan Primary Care Network. She's also the founder of Vine Health, uh, which promotes wellness in the black community. Dr. Simi Monica Labi. Um, the, the next panelist is very well known to us at Jesus House because he oversees um, our, our, our medical outreach, our medical uh, team, our healthcare team. Uh, he's a senior GP, a partner at his GP firm. He's clinical lead GP for Southeast London prisons. He has a special interest in substance misuse and long-term conditions, Dr. Jibade Salami. Good evening, everyone. And then all the way from across the pond, uh, um, someone who is very dear to my family. She's one of my wife Shola's longest um, friends in terms of how long they've known each other. Both of them together at medical school at the University of Ibadan. Um, she's now a professor of medicine, um, an infectious diseases consultant. Um, she was for a while, Senior Director of HIV Services at Cook, Cook County Hospital in Chicago. 20 years of experience working with viruses. Um, and she worships at the Calvary Memorial Church in Oak, Oak Park in Chicago, all the way from America, Professor Tony Wafo. So great. Hello, <laughs> Thank you, Tony. That's a wonderful panel. Even I am intimidated by all your <laughs> credentials. Um, and, and we, we just thank God for that. So we just want to go straight into it. But I think it's apt uh, for us as believers to just say a word of prayer and to just ask the Holy Spirit to take control of our conversation. And so, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for, for the, the privilege of this conversation. I, I especially thank you for every one of your children and the expertise they bring. I commit the listeners uh, who are listening to this conversation into your hands. Holy Spirit, please take absolute control. At the end, we just ask that the name of the Father is glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's launch into it. Now, just to say that we asked for questions. We had about 200 plus questions. And trying to condense 200 plus questions into 25 or 30 questions, and we're not even sure we will go through uh, we will answer all the questions, has been quite a task. Um, what we have tried to do, there were um, blocks of questions around certain areas, many people asking, and we've tried to, um, we'll try to deal with those ones first. So please bear with us. If we don't go through all the questions in this chat, it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, we will continue the conversation as we just continue to bring more and more information 
so that we can take an informed decision. So please bear with us. Um, if we don't come around to your question, it would probably mean that maybe just a, a smaller number of people ask that question as we're trying to answer the ones that are asked for by larger numbers of people. Well, let's start, um, um, Tony, you're the vaccine expert, uh, the expert in terms of uh, infectious diseases. So we're going to start with you. And it's also courtesy, sure. to, courtesy to our brothers across the pond in America. Um, we're going to ask you about this issue of uh, this mistrust that exists uh, in, in the world, but especially in the Black community. There's just um, it's it's there. Uh, there's there, we just don't a large number of us don't trust uh, the authorities with regards to vaccines. Um, what would you have to say about that? You've worked in that area for twenty years. Correct. Um, so thank you for uh, having me, Pastor Ago, and glad to be part of this esteemed panel. And you did bring up an excellent point that there is vaccine hesitancy. And there is a lot of it rooted in mistrust. And we'll have to be honest and admit that there have been reasons why there has been mistrust between uh, the Black community and healthcare system based on historical things that have happened. And so we are aware of different things that have happened in the history of in the US and the UK, different parts where there have been times when with research participation, um, there has been issues around trust and confidentiality. The biggest one I think everyone really talks about is the famous Tuskegee experiment, right? That was carried out in the US um, where African-American men in the South in Alabama were enrolled in studies looking at the natural history of syphilis back in the thirties. And then in 1947, penicillin became available and these men were not told, they were not treated. And this got, went on for another 30 years until the 70s. And that is a legacy that is still being talked about, which is absolutely true. What, however, has happened is that in that time, and since that time, there have been things put in place to make sure that these things do not happen. Oversight, laws, rules, regulations, that researchers, ethics codes, things that have been put in place to make sure that these do not happen. In addition, things have been put in place to ensure that there is uh, increasing uh, communication and trust between the communities and the scientists and the researchers. So there is vaccine hesitancy based on historical mistrust, based on some of the ongoing things that are happening in the healthcare system. But important to know that there are checks and balances in place to make sure those things don't happen. And that being part of clinical trials and being part of the development process and the pipeline being part of the process is going to be really important to doing that. But vaccine hesitancy is real, and the WHO lists that as one of the top 10 threats to our public health in the world. So it's based on history. It's real. We have to acknowledge that. But we have to move on and talk about how we are part of the solution to make sure that we get the best. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Um, I, I was going to just throw that out to anybody in the panel, if anybody has you know, something to add to that. Okay, if not, I, I'll go on because I know, I know you guys are also know we have a lot of questions. So one of the big things out there um, are, 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 is the whole issue around the side effects. You know, what are the side effects of this vaccine? Are there any side effects? What are the side effects short term? And, and long term. So I'm going to I'm going to start with um, 
Simi, Simi, I'm going to ask you that question about the side effect. And then we'll get, because I know everybody will have something to say. So we'll get one or two more people to talk about that. Yes, um, thank you for having me, Pastor. It was a real honor to be able to talk to church about vaccines. Um, there are side effects for most medications, so not just vaccines. Um, and at the moment, we have the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, but the side effects are not unusual. They're kind of the similar that you would have, for instance, with a flu vaccine that you get every year. Because the whole way that vaccines work is to build your immune response. So when you respond to that sort of um, uh, intention from the vaccine, then you might have a bit of a fever, a bit of an achy arm, just the same sort of thing that you would have with any vaccine at all that you would take. And usually it's not uh, prolonged. It's only for a short period and usually settles after 24 hours or you know, a couple of days and it's gone. And that's really pretty much the side effects that you would have from the, both the vaccines that we have in circulation at the, mo at the moment. Okay, I mean, do we, do we know anything about long-term side effects? There's really no proven long-term side effects. Obviously, with the mRNA technology that has been you know, used for this new uh, vaccines, we haven't had that sort of long-term data on, on them. But it's been shown so far, basically, uh, in what we've looked at for the last year and a half, that it's safe. But we also have to understand that this technology is not new. I keep saying that over and over and over again, that coronaviruses have been around for a long time. We had the SARS in 2002 that went sort of halfway around the world and then just disappeared. And I think from that time, we've been building on mRNA technology and it's not a new technology at all. So just so that everybody understands that it's not new, it's not rushed, um, it's been, just been built upon um, essentially. So there's no proven long-term um, sort of side effects or dangers of having Okay, um, and any, any panelists can, want to add to that? Can I just... Um, <laughs> yes, go uh, ahead, Jibadi. Thank you, Pastor. Um, one of the questions my patients have been asking in terms of side effects is that if the vaccine has any egg allergy, um, if it's gluten-free and not, if there's any nuts in it, and to, be, to make it very clear, um, there isn't any of those, so they should feel confident about going forward to um, get the vaccine. It doesn't have, there's no nut allergy attached to it. No, it's gluten-free. And also there are no egg products used in the manufacture of the vaccine. And also um, to, be, to be also very clear that the vaccine does not give you COVID. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. And uh, so that's not a side effect of it. You getting COVID after taking the vaccine. And so we should feel very confident about going forward uh, to have the vaccine. Okay. Now, since you started that, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go into this, 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 this one, and I think I'm going to ask Benga um, to to answer that one. Um, moving along the lines of what it has in it, um, some of what is out there that has caused uh, a bit of uh, concern, to put it mild mildly, is. Um, what we read that it has in it uh, some traces or some amount of um, some aborted fetal uh, fetuses uh, in it. Now that 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 of course puts so many people off. Just the thought about it. 
So, Benga, uh, would you would you speak into that? So, um, none of the vaccines has any fetal aborted material in it, and I can say that categorically. We know that um, when the Oxford vaccine was produced, um, they did study using some of the cell lines that were derived more than years ago, but there is nothing to say that any of the vaccines has any aborted fetal material in it at all. Categorically, we can say that Categorically, the Catholic Church through the Pope have also issued um, a statement on that as well. So we can say that categorically there are no fetal cells at all in any of the vaccines. Okay, wow, that's that's good to know. Um, um Tony, were you going to speak into that, Tony? Yes, I was just going to kind of buttress what Dr. Saka just said in terms of I think the one that we've seen going around is this HEK, you know, 293 cells, and people talking about uh is that. And again, I agree with what Dr. Saka said in terms of the cell lines. This was um, um, clear that there are no uh, fetal cell lines in the in the uh, vaccines that are available that have been approved, and uh, that that I buttress his point. Okay, w wonderful. Um, wanted to ask Dan relate this. Um, um, people are asking whether they have a choice as to what vaccine they take. Okay, thank you, Pastor Agu. Um, at the moment, the answer is no. So you have different vaccination centers uh, that have been supplied by the government with the vaccines that are available. So you go to the center when you're called and you get the vaccine that is available at that time. And at the moment, you've got the Oxford vaccine and you've got the Pfizer vaccine at the moment. Thank you. Thank now, you. now I'm, I'm going to ask a question that's not directly related, but because I had a conversation with her and it, it was quite a moving conversation. Uh, Buki, it's a personal question, so I'm not sure that you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But um, you went through that, should I take it, should I not take it stage? And I remember you, you, you were calling me all over the place, should I take it, what do you think, let's pray. And then you... I think some of it was your experience uh, working in uh, ICU and seeing a lot of what was happening there. That was probably some of what swayed you with also the information that you had at your disposal. So it's a personal question, it's random, but I think it might help someone out there if you just take us in two, three minutes or whatever it is on that journey. You're, you need to unmute yourself, Buki. So yeah. I'm a consultant anesthetist, and um, because of the severity and the massive impact that COVID has had on the NHS, they've cancelled all elective lists from the first surge. And so we were drafted to ITU, and it was a, a, a different experience, an experience that, yes, I did work in intensive care as a trainee, but this was now taking decisions and making um, decisions over people's lives. So the first surge was traumatic, you know, hours had work, but the second surge, I must say, is a lot more traumatic in that the first surge, we had older people come into ITU and we had more like a 50-50% chance if you came into ITU, would you survive? With this surge, it's more like you have younger people, people ranging between 30s and their 60s, and um, they're not surviving. And that's because 
you know, this strain is very virulent, very vicious. And um, there's lots that people, it's very infectious. And there's some people who carry it around and don't even know they have it. So they're spreading it to other people who will come down with a more severe infection. So when they came up with the vaccine, initially I was like, that would be the last thing I'll do to myself. I don't, I am I'm concerned about the effect it will have on me. I'm concerned about, you know, why, why did they speed it up so quickly? There were lots of all those things that were going through my head. But working in ITU, seeing the impact that it has on people, people come from the community, they've had COVID for five, 10 days. And the main thing that kills is the thromboembolism. That's when you have a clot that goes into your lungs and that kills so quickly, all right? And it's, there, is, there isn't much that they can do when you have that massive pulmonary embolism. And I looked at the whole thing and I thought, you know, at the end of the day, um, yes, I have my concerns about the COVID vaccine um, we, because I think that we don't know the long-term effects, we don't know this, but then if I die today from catching COVID or even if I didn't die and I had COVID and I didn't have the severe effect and I gave it to somebody else who died, would I really be able to live with it? Would I be able to accept that, that responsibility? And it was something that nudged me for days and days and days. And, you know, I looked at the whole thing and I thought at the end of the day, if I don't take this vaccine now, it's ticking. It's a time bomb. You're going into ITU, you have the high viral load, you have these very sick people and they are helpless at that time. Now I have my faculties in and I can actually make a informed decision as to how and when I want to take this vaccine. And I thought, there is no other way. It's either masks locked down permanently or taking this vaccine and being able to build up my immunity. We take vitamins, we take everything that helps, but that doesn't protect you. It, it, the only thing that would protect you now is you having the vaccine and having the antibodies to fight the um, infection if you get it in the severe way. So uh, it was a long journey. It's traumatic. You see, it's a different um, age group that are having it and you see that they don't even have comorbidities not like the last the first surge where they had lots of comorbidities they don't have comorbidities they're young and they what, come what, what, what are comorbidities for, for as for in they have else. medical problems that they're on medications for okay. but you now see young 30 something year olds and they have an embolus and that's it it just kills them or they're in itu and they end up with covid long covid um COVID long means that you have COVID as in you might be breathless and not be able to attain your normal physical activity for a long time. Some people end up with COVID psychosis now, the people who had it in the first surge where they now have all sorts of mental health issues. So COVID, I would say to people is one, it might kill immediately as in, in weeks. Two, you might have the long-term effect of it. And it's a nasty disease. It's a disease that people are getting to know more and more about. But the more we know about it, the more scary we are. And the more we realize that it's something that needs to be stopped. With prayers, I've taken the vaccine, but I still said to pastor, I go to work with the blood of Jesus. I think that's my ultimate PPE. That's my ultimate vaccine. But I still had to take that vaccine to, for even my mental health balance. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. 
Now, um, another thing, um, many questions came in about this, the speed of production. Um, I, I, we had a, a gentleman, um, Dr. Dixon, who is a HIV specialist, and he told us HIV for the last 30 years, they are still trying to develop a vaccine. And literally within a year, um, we've, got, we've got vaccines uh, for COVID-19. Um, of course, that's, that, that will raise some concerns. So I was hoping that the panel could throw some light on that, um, this whole issue of how, how fast it came, it came out. So I, I, I'd leave that to any, anybody to jump in on that. I'll be, and maybe I'll one be happy two. to. Yes, go on. I'll be happy to, to, to take that. And I just, just before I did that, I wanted to just personally and just for the whole audience, you know, endorse um, Dr. Joe really sharing that story because it acknowledged that that even when we're in the medical field that it is still an informed decision making process looking at the risk and benefit and being open and sharing that addressing that when people feel that they have hesitancy or they have concerns that it's okay but the next step is really looking at the decision so thank you for sharing that because that will impact a lot of people the other part of that is that representation matters. So when, when Dr. Joe steps out and say, I got the vaccine, when people that look like you are getting the vaccine, it helps. So we cannot underestimate the importance of representation and us being part of the people doing the, the message delivery and really sharing our experiences. And one of the things that both uh, Dr. Labi and Dr. Joe talked about was the, the speed. And that is something that we really are trying to get around that it was not rushed. So yes, the analogy to HIV is that, you know, there are different viruses and this is, was, you know, the biggest health crisis of the last century. And so what we had is the fact that since, you know, the SARS outbreak, you know, in 2002, there's been a lot of work looking at these coronaviruses of which COVID is one of them. And knowing that that kind of got contained, then we had the MERS outbreak, but just knowing how, humans are, we're living, there's a lot of deforestation, there's a lot of travel, that it was only a matter of time that something like this would happen. And so there's been a lot of work about studying the virus and the COVID, uh, the coronavirus family. So that's why, first of all, it took a shorter time to be able to sequence out this virus. It's based on years of work, so not rushed. And so first thing to be able to develop a vaccine is you have to be able to sequence the virus. I know a lot about it what parts of it are needed to survive, where the enzymes are. So based on prior work on coronaviruses, not this one, they were able to do that. Then the next thing is trying to uh, produce a vaccine. A vaccine you need to know is really to prime your body to make antibodies so that when you do get exposed to the real pathogen. So there's been work on developing, looking at the coronavirus. The mRNA technology has been around since the 90s. And for the, since 2000, since about 2005, there's been a lot of work building on that. So they've tried mRNA, looking at it for different processes, maybe in cancer, maybe in autoimmune diseases. Really, this is the first time we've had mRNA uh, vaccines go to the market for a viral infection, but they've been tried for Zika, for rabies, for influenza, but the technology has been something that's been built on uh, to see that how do we deliver it without getting, it's a very, um, 
very short half-life. It gets degraded very quickly. So how do we get it to the body and get it to the cell without being degraded? How do we protect it from being attacked by the immune system before it gets what it needs to be done? This is work that people have been doing for the last over a decade to improve on the technology. So when this happened, it was years and decades of work now being accelerated because this was a single biggest crisis worldwide. So usually, you know, I think the shortest vaccine development we had prior to this was four years and that was considered fast. So the five reasons usually why vaccines take a long time is, you know, the incidence of the disease you're trying to study is so low, right? So you need more people to show an effect of your vaccine or you can't get research participants because they're not interested or there is no funding. There's competing priorities in, in vaccine development. So if you don't have funding to do it, or you don't have people willing to enroll, or there's so much bureaucratic processes. So if you think about the reasons why it usually takes a long time, you don't know the technology, you don't know the virus. We knew that the technology, we had improved on it. You had the virus, and then you had participants. COVID was all over, so you could show very, in a short time, the impact of your vaccine because the natural disease was going on. You had everybody along the world working on one problem. That never happens in healthcare. So there were both the regulatory bodies, the private, the academic institutions, everybody working on the same issue. You had people willing to participate in trials because we needed a solution. And then we had all the approval processes, not shortcut. So the FDA and the European Union did what they needed to do, but they prioritized reviewing those panels. So for HIV stuff, other vaccine work, you submit it, you have at least six months. The FDA has six months in the US to act on it. This time, once they got the packet, they assigned reviewers because there was no other priority. So nothing was shortcut. The process was the same. They had to go through phase one, phase two, phase three, but you had willing participants, you had the funding and you had enough disease in the community that the impact of your intervention would show up very quickly. So it wasn't rushed, it was building up on what was existing and we had a collaboration like we've never had where everybody was working on one thing, vaccine for COVID. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Agbenga, you were going to add to that. I think it's going to be difficult to improve on what Tony has just said because I think that is it in a nutshell. But the most important thing to say is that that infrastructure has been there for a long time. All you just need to do is to decide what product do you want on the production mill that you want to come out at the, at the end of it. A classic example of infrastructure that was in place was when we needed um, ventilators and Mercedes-Benz and McLaren decided that they could convert yeah. their Formula One building technology into producing a vast um, a, uh, um, uh, uh, a ventilator and they did it within a week and they were ready to produce thousands. So the machinery is there. You've got people who breathe and uh, and sleep this kind of things. Yeah. And the guy that produced the um, Pfizer vaccine is a Turkish immigrant who lives in Germany and worked with BioNTech. All he does is virology. He doesn't have a TV. So his life is dedicated to studying viruses. So when opportunities like this come, something that he spent 40 years doing is able to crystallize into something that can come out straight and straight away. And because you've got everybody all in one accord, you've got Pfizer, a big pharma, pharma company, you've got AstraZeneca, a big pharma, um, pharma company. Everybody was focused on one thing. There's no how that we wouldn't produce this thing. 
And then when it comes to participants, we have banks of people that are ready to volunteer to participate in clinical trials. The shame is that we don't have enough black people in those banks of people. But if we needed to do a trial today, there are people that are ready to submit themselves for those trials. So calling upon those people was quite easy. And you have a disease that is quite prevalent. So you, you have people that have the disease that you can call upon. You have people that don't have the disease that you can call upon. And you can put them side by side, give them the vaccine and see what happens. And in terms of the other thing that Tony said was about trials. Trials run in a very, very strict accord. And you have what we call phase one trials, phase two trials, and phase three trials. And all of it is that everything is get towards safety in the first instance. Can we give this thing to somebody safely? If you can give it to somebody safely, what is the effect on the person? And finally, how um, effective and efficient is it? And those are things that you can run side by side. And finally, rather than wait to get one result, we were doing what we call a parallel rollout. So as the results were coming in, it was being reviewed and it just went on. And the three bodies that we can talk about in the West that really um, talk about regulation and approval of drugs are the FDA in the United States is a feared organization. And it's, uh, if you are doing a clinical trial and you're told that the FDA is coming, you start to have quakes. The equivalent body is the MHRA in the United Kingdom and the European Medicine Agency in Europe. And actually the MHRA take the lead in, UK, um, in Europe. The headquarters for the European Medical Agency was in the UK, but because of Brexit, it's possibly going to move to Brussels or France, but we take the lead, which is why when it came to this vaccine being approved, the MHRA was ready to roll it out. And even ahead of the FDA that has more money, we were ready because we were reviewing it on a daily basis. You had people that were dedicated 24 seven that were, that, were, that were working on it. So there's absolutely no shortcut. And when it comes to regulatory authorities, for some of the trials that I've participated in and I've run in the United Kingdom, the MHRA will give you notice that they are coming. And when they give you notice, you don't sleep because they are looking for that little sleep, that little mistake that you've made Maybe you were meant to have a fridge running at minus 80 degrees and it was running at minus 60, um, at minus 70, for example. That can throw the whole into jeopardy, everything we have been preparing for. So it's not easy. It's like a super auditory body that works quite hard and they have their reputation at stake. So none of this thing is rushed. Everything is evidence-based. And if you want the evidence, all you have to do is log on to the MHRA website and you can review some of the evidence that all of these countries have submitted. Thank you. Thank you. Um, wanted to ask this, this question, and I, I particularly wanted to ask this because I am a, a, a member of our congregation. Um, it was very personal to him. He asked it on Sunday, um, and I saw it in the chat box. So I, I wanted to ask this. Um, if someone has um, something like multiple sclerosis or or, or or sickle cell, the the the, the uh, um, frankly, what the guy said, I'm terrified about the side effects. What should I do? Um, Denrile, do you want to you want to start us off with that? Yes, Pastor. So, um, with any disease that a person has at the moment. The best thing is to weigh the risk and the benefits and the evidence out there. And what the recommendation, I should say, is that when you weigh the risk and the benefits, for most people, it is still better to have the vaccine than not have the vaccine. In terms of those side effects, I know that Simi mentioned some at the earlier on. Uh, the one that most people are really scared about is the um, anaphylactic reaction. But I want to assure everyone that 
in each of the vaccination centers, you have professionals on hand. The anaphylactic reaction happens almost immediately and there's care for you immediately. So you have the anaphylactic kits that people will use to do whatever needs to be done immediately so that you, that you don't suffer any untowards events. Um, in terms of um, other side effects, Simi has mentioned that they're very, very simple ones and they resolve within two to three days. So it's nothing to worry about. So I would say that if you have any underlying conditions, best thing to do is speak to the doctor, but the recommendation is you have the vaccine rather than not have the vaccine. Okay, thank you. Does anybody want to speak into that? Any other panelists? about the side effects and um, the anaphylactic reaction um, business. We have vaccinated in my center alone, five and a half thousand people. And out of the five and a half thousand, we had none, no, no, react, no, no reaction of any sort at all. So I think it puts into perspective um, that it's not something that is common. I haven't come across it so far in my experience vaccinating with Pfizer's and uh, AstraZeneca. So anaphylactic reactions are where you can't breathe, where you have a severe reaction to a drug or to anything and you can't breathe and you have to be rushed and resuscitated and it happens almost immediately afterwards. So, and we also, we wait for people to, to stay for about 15 minutes, make sure that they're okay before they leave with one of the vaccines. Five and a half thousand, nobody's had any um, anaphylactic reaction so far. So um, I think it's for, for me as a doctor, it's kind of like reassuring as well. I Thank agree. you. That, that, I that, agree. That, that, that's very reassuring. Anybody else speaking to that? Yeah, and I agree exactly with what was said, that there are processes in place, but to highlight that these are exceedingly rare. And when they do, the FDA puts it about maybe 11 per million doses of vaccination. Uh, but because of that, even though it's extremely rare, the centers have been told to be equipped with all of those things that would be needed in that very rare time that it happens and they usually happen more than 70% of the time within the first 15 minutes. If someone has had a history of allergy to other things, you want to keep them for up to 30 minutes, which is fine. And so, but everything is in place. It's exceedingly rare and there is track. And the good thing about it, at least in the US, is that everybody who gets vaccinated is given the, um, the uh, app to be able to register in VSAFE because the CDC wants to continue to track and you can log in and log in any symptoms you have. So arm, fever, and they want to be able to, that people know that it is important, even though we've had now, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people before they were approved, and millions of people in the US, we've already vaccinated over 27 million people, that you can, as an individual, report and do it through the app to report any symptoms you have. But the anaphylaxis is exceedingly rare, just like uh, our two colleagues had mentioned, and there are processes in place because if they do happen, they all happen within the first 30 minutes. So it's not like you're going to go home and something bad's going to happen. And that's really important for people to know. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, Jibade, if one has had COVID-19, um, you've been infected, should one still have the vaccine? Simple question, but it, many people asked it. Thank you, Pastor. Um, absolutely. Um, if you've had the inf um, infection before, um, one of the things is that we don't know how long the natural immunity will last for if, if, you, if you just have the infection. Uh, with the vaccine, it's more targeted towards the, um, the spike protein of the virus. So we know it's more effective 
And also with the second dose of the vaccine, you get what we call uh, secondary antibodies being produced as well. And lots of T cells, which are very effective, you know, the killer cells, the memory cells, and the helper cells uh, from, the from the vaccine. And these are much more effective. And we know that they last well, well, we're still waiting, but we are, from the studies that have been done, we know that they're more likely to give a better protection than just the natural uh, immunity you get from the, uh, uh, if you have the infection before. So the advice is that if you've had the infection before, please still go ahead and have the vaccine. It's going to be very helpful. And- uh, Thank you. Thank you. And then let's, 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 let's jump into some of the very interesting ones that I have heard. So there's this whole thing about um, uh, some sort of microchip being inserted into you um, through this vaccine. And then there are all kinds of ideas as to what the microchip can do from, uh, from tracking your movements, I heard someone say, um, to uh, controlling you. Um, so that's 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 out there social media is awash with with that that's one of the theories out there so i just wanted the panel to speak into that i'm, I'm happy to, to jump on, on that one if you yes please go on somebody else who's really keen and um, i mean i had this, this conversation with pastor funkia about three weeks ago because we had this sort of session and what i was saying to, to her is that if you have a mobile phone you're already been tracked anyway, and I'm sure you know that. And um, to be honest, uh, the, the vaccine is 0.3 mils or 0.5 mils. It's the tiniest amount of fluid. Um, I, I'm not certain how we can blend a microchip into that small um, medium and get it, and, and get it into where exactly? I think my question is your body breaks down what's been put into you. And even in the past, when we've used um, so cameras to examine cancers inside the body, it's only been there for a short period. So it goes in the mouth and it comes out the other way and it's expelled. You, you physically cannot keep it um, in there. So, so on, on every scientific and any basis, it's really hard to figure out how you can put a microchip in someone with 0.5 mils of liquid and where it will go from there. So my question is, if unless you don't have a mobile phone at all, you don't have any computers, you don't have anything, then you're already you're already being tracked, and and you're not being tracked for anything apart from business, because people are trying to sell you stuff, so they track your mobile phone. But microchipping is definitely not an option with um, with the vaccine, certainly certainly not. Okay, and anybody else adding to that? I I totally okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I went to have the vaccine solely because I wanted to look at the vial, see what is in the vial and examine myself so that when a question like this comes up, I can actually say to you that the person that was giving me the injection, I did ask him, can I have the vial? I looked at it in different kinds of lights. I used my, my mobile phone, shone the light to it to see if anything was reflecting from the inside of it, just so that I can answer this question. It is fanciful technology to believe that that can happen with the vaccine. The minute you put anything that can transmit something into liquid, it completely destroys it. All you have to do is put your laptop in water and bring it out and see what happens. Leave your mobile phone long enough in water and bring it out and see what happens. And we are talking about the human body that is generally designed to make things degrade. So if you put any metal into it, 
the acids that are in the body, the bases that are in the body, the enzymes that are in the body will completely destroy it. So it is fanciful technology. But like Simi also said, we are already being tracked. You know, you've got a mobile phone that tracks you. You wear Apple watches that tracks you. You wear Samsung wearable tracks you. Your credit card is also tracking you where you spend it direct. And some of these things we're actually giving voluntarily. So you buy on Amazon, you buy on Google. You actually notice that every time you log into a computer now that has Google, you have to sign in. You get a new phone, you have to sign in with something that identifies you where you are. So you're already been tracked. So there is no microchip in it. I examined it myself. Thank you. I, Thank you. I just want to add that. I absolutely love um, how, you know, Dr. Simi's uh, and, and Dr. Benga's analogy about just, you know, with the cell phones. And I've had that discussion. And I say, you know what, there's so many opportunities if somebody were trying to, because we voluntarily give our children for their MMR and DPT vaccines. And there's so many opportunities to insert anything, right? So why are we okay with giving our babies to get all these shots? And so again, and I think, you know, but to, to you know, not to, not to make light of it, I think some of the words that kind of came around with the vaccine development, especially when people were already skeptic, you know, about it. it was like, we always, we wanted a way out of the pandemic, but then it was like, this way is too quick, right? Ah, it's eight months, it's too quick. But I think things like, you know, messenger RNA, genetic code of the virus, uh, words like warp speed, operation warp speed in the US, words like nanoparticle, nano, you know, tiny particle. Uh, those words kind of, kind of sound techie. And then because Bill Gates was involved, because he's been talking about, we need to work on our public health measures. We need to start thinking about SARS could be a bigger thing, just because we know that viruses mutate the transfer from animal to human. We're traveling more. We're encroaching on natural habitats because we're building into forests. It was only a matter of time. But because he talked about that, people have put on videos Bill Gates talked about this 10 years ago, and that's why he's putting a code now. He's all playing. It's all, it was just what was going to happen, just knowing science. So I do think those words about code, operation warp speed, nanoparticle, all of those things you put together, that's now sounding Wi-Fi. And I think that's why, or sci-fi, is why there was a lot of that. But I agree, you know, again, the particle with the mRNA virus that allowed it to get to the cell was a fat. So it's actually embodied in a little fat, tiny lipid droplet. Lipid is fat to get it because it has to get from the syringe to where the cell where it needs to act without just dissolving. And so it was put, the particle is not a code. It's actually, it's the, the, the air messenger RNA in a little fat bubble to get it in there, which we have fat in us, tiny bubble. So the particle is a nanoparticle of fat to get it to the cell so it can do what it needs to do. And that, that's all that is. But there are so many other ways that uh, we've already been tracked for our dollars and pounds. So <laughs> okay. I, I agree. <laughs> all right, will the vaccine be made mandatory? Are they going to say to us that you can't travel uh, except you've got, which didn't sound strange to me because you can't go to certain countries except you've taken a yellow fever vaccination and you've got to have that card that says you have so it didn't sound strange to me but it's a question we've been asked um, will, will we get to that point um the uk and i'll speak for the uk will not mandate any vaccine so we will not force you to have a vaccine you have your human rights that determine that you can decide that you do not want it but you may find just almost like you've answered eloquently pastor that you may be restricted in certain things. 
you cannot go into Kenya, for example, if you don't have your yellow fever vaccine. So you may find that airlines will refuse to carry you if you do not have the vaccine. You will also find out that many countries in Africa will particularly start mandating that anybody coming from Europe and the United States to have evidence that they've had the vaccine. So nobody's going to force you, but you have to make a decision. Do you want to go to those places? And if you want to go to those places, then you, you may need to have the vaccine. You may also find that you'll be restricted in certain things that you can do in certain places. If you come into a hospital, for example, and you need to have an operation, we will possibly say that you need to have the vaccine before we can operate on you. It's not so much about for you, but it's to protect those of us that are treating you to make sure that we do not pick up the infection from you. And you have a choice to say that you do not want to come into hospital and therefore you will not have the vaccine. So it's not mandatory, um, but people have a choice to make. Okay, thank you. Um, there are loads of questions. I'm just trying to get... Uh, it. Okay, how, how long does the protection from the vaccine last? Anybody interested? Yeah. Shall I go? Sure. You, I, can, I can start from what we know. So again, you know, I just like to put in context that you know, December of 2019 was when we had the first reports out of China, right? So all of this is, we're a little over a year. And so unlike other things that we've had, where we've had many, many, many years to, to study that. So it is ongoing. So the studies are done. They've looked at the efficacy of the vaccines that are available, but they are still for looking at people who are enrolled in the study to look at follow-up all the way out to two years to look at their antibody levels. So what we don't know is how long the antibodies are going to last. Is this going to be something like, and we, you know, different vaccines that we have already now, there are some vaccines that we get one time. There's some vaccines we get annually, like the flu shot. There's some vaccines that require booster every 10 years, like your tetanus. There's some vaccines that require you to get three shots to get to like hepatitis B, right? At zero, at one month, at six months. So depending on the antibody response to that initial um, uh, vaccination uh, and how long they stay in and when is going to be. So I think that is still an ongoing process to see how long that will take. Because again, we're talking about studies that were completed uh, a couple of months ago, the first set of vaccinations are going on now. And so those people who were informed the studies, they are looking and going to bring them in every couple of months to check their antibody levels to be able to let us know um, what will happen in terms of need to boost and how often we need to do this. But it is, it's not like the studies got done and everyone's hand was, there's still a lot going on to see how long the antibodies last. And Dr. Um, Salami had talked about the different kinds of antibody production and why it's important to not just get one and kind of walk away because we know the antibody starts to, to get developed. But that second one, allows you to have both a neutralizing antibody, which is what you want, literally to neutralize the virus if you do get in contact with it. But then the other kinds of, of protection that come from your cell-mediated immunity, which actually give you memory cells, memory cells that are programmed to, to think even longer term. So th those are still ongoing to see how long, and that's why this is still an evolving question. Thank you. Okay, going to, going to, because I want to move on very quickly, I'm going to ask a, just a couple of quick questions. Um, what's the effect of the vaccine on fertility, pregnancy, and breastfeeding? 
Jibade, you want to you want to do that? Yes, thank you, Pastor. Uh, from the um, studies done so far, um, uh, there is no evidence that it does affect fertility at all. And um, we've had um, the Royal College of uh, Gynecology come forward and say that um, they've also in support that there isn't any, I know this has been a bit of a concern for quite a few people, uh, but there isn't any uh, evidence and there's no um, actual uh, logical uh, thinking at the moment that it's going to affect your fertility later on. But then it's also been monitored like um, uh, Tony was saying earlier, we're still looking at the data, making sure that if there are any things uh, coming up, uh, the scientists are all in the same page looking at it. But at the moment, there's no evidence at all that it affects your fertility. Yeah, th you. there is no effect. Just to buttress that, there's no effect on fertility, but we do not encourage pregnant women to have it. But if you're planning to become pregnant, it's okay to have it. But we don't encourage pregnant women to, to have it unless that pregnant woman has risks um, that are really severe. If she gets COVID, it's going to be really bad. Then you have to have a conversation with a consultant. So, but it's, it's safe to have it if you're trying to conceive. It's safe to have it you know, if you're not pregnant. But if you're actually pregnant, that decision will have to be made if you are at very high risk of severe um, COVID um, pneumonia or COVID disease. Thank you. Yeah, and in the, Thank you. In the US, it's the same thing too around with the pregnancy to have the discussion with your healthcare provider. And if you are pregnant, uh, if you are at risk of, of uh, the disease, so if you fall into a category that would be vaccinated, like a healthcare worker who is pregnant, so I have colleagues and people that I've worked with who are pregnant and they have that discussion with their primary care provider because they're working in the hospital and they're more likely to be exposed and choosing to vaccine because in the in the studies we did not obviously enroll pregnant women women in those studies okay i mean tony while you're still on i think that this this that your expertise will uh, this whole issue to do with mr the MR, mrna mrna technology and how it as some of what is out there is that it can change your DNA or your RNA. Um, can you talk into that? And I'm sure some, some of the panelists will, will speak as well into yeah. that. And the good thing is, I, I like how this question is coming much later in the conversation, because I think we've in different ways talked about Dr. Labis, talked about Dr. Saka about the mRNA technology and how it wasn't rushed and all the development and build up. So this is actually a perfect time for the question because we've talked quite a bit about the mRNA get, getting to this question. And I think more than any other vaccine, even though there's a lot of vaccines we get all the time for Hep A, for Hep B, all of those things, because of the new technology or because it was a new type of, of vaccine, it got a lot of, of uh, angst about what it was going to do. And what we know is you know, the RNA is the part of your, is a, is a messenger part of your body that uh, works with the ribosomes to make proteins that we need. And so without RNA, we can't make proteins and those proteins are really important, right? So most times, you know, you have within the, the nucleus of the cell, you have every nucleus has a DNA. The DNA really makes RNA and then RNA does the work of actually building proteins. This, this uh, mRNA technology does not incorporate into the DNA. You cannot go 
RNA to DNA, unless you have a, like a virus like HIV that is a reverse transcriptase. So that's the reverse. It does not go into the DNA. It does not enter the nucleus of the cell. The nucleus is the, the cell's powerhouse. It does not do any of that stuff. It gets in to where it needs to get through, through that lipid particle, gets into the part of the cell, the cytoplasm of the cell. It already has the, the messenger to do what it needs to do. And it allows you to start making, working with the ribosomes to make the spike protein, which is the only part, that's what the virus needs to be able to enter the cell. So once you make that spike protein, your body now starts to recognize that spike protein as abnormal. It thinks of it as that's a COVID spike protein and starts to make antibodies. You get your second vaccine, you make more antibodies. So if you do get in contact with COVID, it prevents you from getting severe disease, which is the outcome of all those studies. So it does not categorically does not alter your DNA. It does not go into the nucleus of your cell. It does not translate back into DNA. And it is an RNA, by RNA that works with uh, your body, with the ribosomes that are hanging out there, the building blocks to make the spike protein. And I know that's something people have told you. It, it's no. So no, that the answer is thank, no. Thank you. It doesn't go in no, there was. Way. There was this Somebody question. Somebody else want to buttress that fact? <laughs> and anybody want to buttress that? Just, just let's bear in mind the time. One or two that. minutes. Okay. 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 Everybody so, says a thumbs yeah. up to that. So there was this question, um, and I don't know if it was my my legal background, but it it was a no brainer to me. So um, someone actually asked me. So if there isn't a conspiracy, how come the 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 governments around the world are giving pharmaceutical companies immunity from uh, legal suits in, in, the, in the future. And, and I said to them, it's a no-brainer. If I was a lawyer to the pharmaceutical company, I'm going to say to them, even if it's a small risk of a class action suit or a class, so some class action, um, some legal case against you in the future, the government needs you to bring this to pass. Tell the government that they should give you immunity from anything that anyone might bring against you so that you can bring it to pass. It's a no-brainer. That's what I would advise um, the pharmaceutical company if I was in the pharmaceutical company. So um, I, I didn't think there was any conspiracy there. I thought any decent in-house lawyer would be saying to their company, tell the government to make sure that they protect you uh, just in case, because we all agree that there's a just in case. Um, nothing is 100%. Um, I don't know if, 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 if that basic legal thinking makes sense or if, if, if I was just off on a tangent of my own. So maybe you guys can speak into that. Also, I was just going to say, yes, he has a, yes, you are right. And the other thing to add to that is most of these vaccines at the moment do not have what we call marketing authorizations because obviously there's still a lot of unknowns that we're still trying to unravel and lots of trials that are going on. So at the moment, until they become licensed drugs and they're going to be licensed by the FDA, by the MHRA, by the European Union, and until they become licensed, then you have to have such clauses in place. So you are very right. Okay. And then have, have, you, have you heard about, this is a bit of a, again, it's not, you know, is there, um, have you, Buki, I'm going to ask you this one. Have you heard about ivermectin? And, and um, yeah, is it, uh, is it, is it, is it, 
Is it an option? Um, I've heard two sides of the story, very strong arguments on both sides. I've seen the stuff from Australia that says it's being used. I, I hear Lagos in Nigeria is about to roll it out. Um, but I've also had doctors here who are slightly more cautious, who are um, on the other side. In, in the UK, I must say that everything we do is evidence-based. You, you need to have tried it, you need to have tested it to roll it out in the UK. And um, there are lots of, lots of drugs and lots of other things that people are using all over the world and saying like when they came up with hydroxychloroquine and um, ivermectin and uh, it has to be proven. And that's the way the NHS is structured. I speak to my ITU colleagues and I say to them, you know, why don't we use this? They're using this in Africa. And they say, we're more than happy to use it if it is tested and proven and it's authorized. And that's why I say to people that the UK will not authorize this vaccine if it's not tested and proven. So, so far for them to be authorized, because these things are cheaper, many of these drugs are cheaper. So it's more, it's more cost effective for them to say, oh, well, it's cheaper, we can try it. But we don't work that way in the UK. It might be conservative, but it's testing, trying it and going through the, the whole process and then coming out knowing that it's going to help. It's going to be worth putting people through giving them those drugs. And some of these drugs are, we need to remember that this drug, this, this virus is a virus. So many of these things are maybe drugs that you use for bacterial infections and all. So virus needs antivirals or needs drugs that we know will work for it, not just using everything and anything and putting it into the kitchen sink. That's my take and my ITU colleagues' takes on, on it. Okay. All right. Anybody want to say something about that? Yeah, I, I can say something about um, ivermectin. Mm. Um, there's various theories across the globe about it. However, from the studies that I've seen, there really isn't, um, it's not a cure for uh, COVID. Mm. And, um, and, and there's been studies that if you take a couple of doses, it might prevent you from getting COVID. The studies I've looked at always said they needed more um, research because they didn't have larger numbers. It wasn't really, really, really clear. So uh, for now, ivermectin, which is an antiparasitic, which we use for things like, um, we use for things like uh, onchocerciasis, which is river blindness. And it's really important that we keep it for its original use. Um, there is no proof that it will prevent you from getting COVID. And the kind of doses that have been um, prescribed as well, some people are taking this every day, all the time. Um, which obviously has its side effects and you're taking it all the time to try and prevent uh, an illness. So that means the minute you stop it, you're going to then get it. The, the evidence is not strong. Papers that I've read, and it's, it's not strong, but I know that there are certain doctors that are really pushing it in different parts of the world. And I think America has a few doctors who are pushing ivermectin and also hydroxychloroquine, but the evidence is rather weak. And what we do is evidence-based and we have to go with evidence really. Okay, well, we'll move on um, and, and leave us to make the decision. So, so we're, com we're coming to an end. Um, so let me do some quick fire questions um, just so that we can stay within our time. Um, how effective are the existing vaccines against em emerging variants of the virus? Can I, um, 
Is he okay, fine. Yes, go on. And um, the 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 um, numbers we have for the um, vaccines that we have with President are really, really very good. You know, we've got um, the Pfizer vaccine coming at ninety plus percentage effectiveness, and also with um, the uh, what we have for um, the um, Oxford vaccine is over seventy percent effective as well. And we're getting more data in showing that even with the new variants, they are actually very effective still. And, you know, just to get a bit of a um, balance on what, what we're talking about, if we look at the present medications we use, paracetamol, for instance, uh, for which we use for pain, paracetamol is about 50% effective for pain. And for long-term pain, it's about 30%. Penicillin is about 65% effective. So for the numbers we have for the vaccine, they're actually very, very encouraging and uh, knowing that we can tell most of our patients that if you take this vaccine, most of you, will, you know, will not get the virus and you do very well. Even the new variants that are coming through. The evidence is really, really very strong. Wonderful. I just got a, a question that was, was asked. Um, <laughs> amongst all the vaccines available, um, which is the best to take? <laughs> that kind of puts you all on the spot. <laughs> I think everybody should just plead the Fifth Amendment. Just take take anyone. <laughs> Bingy, I love how you dropped your dropped your dropped your head into your hands, thinking, "How do I get out of this one?" Well, ge gentlemen and ladies, which is the best one to take? They are all very good. They are all very effective. They've all been sanctioned by the MHRA in the United Kingdom. So I think when you go to your vaccination centers and you are offered a vaccine, just take it. They are all very effective. And I wanted to add to what um, Dr. Jibade Salami said about the effectiveness of the vaccines. If you think of the, the flu vaccine, it's only about 40 to 50% effective. So we, are, we have vaccines that are up to 90% effective, I think we should all be rushing to go and get vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Derele has let you guys all off. I, <laughs> I, I won't put you on the spot. Um, okay, some questions that are around uh, a bit uh, uh, theological, a bit you know, to do with our faith. Um, would taking the vaccine as a born again, tongue speaking, Christian, indicate that I don't trust God to keep me in divine health. If I take it, would that mean I take out life insurance as well? Well, that, can, that question kind of puts me on the spot because I do have life insurance and my wife has life insurance. <laughs> so I guess I guess you guys will say, Pastor, you answer that word. Well, I, I, when I read it, I thought, very interesting question. Um, as most of you know, um, my, my first wife passed away uh, shortly after her 40th birthday. There's no way we could have imagined that would happen. Uh, we stood on all the word of God. We believed, we prayed, we confessed, we declared, but it happened. Sometimes those things happen. Um, now I could have said, um, we're going to live till 90. So we don't have to take out life insurance or anything like that. Um, as has happened sadly with um, some of our pastors who have passed away. We have a general life insurance scheme but some of the pastors declined to take it. And at least two or three of them have passed away without taking it. And I just thought to myself, what we could have given to the family 
um, if they if they had taken it. So I think you know it's the same with it's the same with the vaccine. Um, you know, uh, God gives. Uh, we prayed a lot for the scientific community. We prayed for creativity. We prayed for them to discover a vaccine. We prayed for God to give them the spirit that was on those who built the the the, the tabernacle. We prayed. And, and, you know, God gives them the creativity. They've invented the vaccine. I think, you know, from my perspective, it speaks for itself. I don't think it affects my faith in God whatsoever. Um, uh, because I, I think it was Buki who mentioned it. And I like, I like that graphic picture. After taking the vaccine, she still comes under the blood of Jesus. Um, and, I, and I think that's a general approach. So I don't know if any of the panelists want to speak into that. I don't think it. I don't think it should affect anybody's faith at all in, in any way. A simple analogy would be: if you're going to travel in a car, do you put on your seatbelt or not? Or do you say because you played and you played the blood of Jesus over your life, therefore you wouldn't use the seatbelt as you travel? You use the seatbelt, but you still pray for journey messages from God. You take the vaccine and still pray for message from God to protect you from it. Okay, and then and this, this other question. Um, if we do this very quickly and then we'll, 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 we'll start to wind down. I had COVID in May 2019 and I required several weeks in ICU. I was contacted later for research, um, for research to harvest my antibodies. I declined, but do I still need a vaccine? So I think those are two questions in one. The first part of that question, Jibadi has answered before when he said, if you've had, the, if you've had COVID, um, you should still have the vaccine because of the protection that it affords you. But the first part of the question is, you, um, if you are invited for a research, they are not giving anything to you. We are trying to understand COVID. So if you've had COVID and we are asking that you give us your plasma so we understand how COVID works in the body, what effect it has on the body, how it produces antibodies, what antibodies it produces, how long does antibodies last for, then we are pleading that you should please help us. We are not even giving anything to you that's going to affect you or change any part of you. We are just taking a little bit of your plasma and we just want to study it and try to see does it actually improve outcomes. We know one of the things that we've tried and it possibly worked, and I think possibly President Donald Trump had it when he was in a hospital with COVID, was that he possibly had plasma from somebody who's possibly had COVID and we're just trying to see if those things work. But yes, if you've had COVID, um, if you've declined the um, um, participation in trials, that's fine, but you should still have the vaccine to give you further protection. Okay. Just about truthful being this is the, um, is the fact that it's the participation in these trials and that actually helps us to get more information about what's going on. For instance, in the COVID um, uh, immunization trial, we have very, very low numbers of um, uh, African um, and the ethnic minority groups participating in those trials. And yes, we know there's been mistrust and all the things that have gone on before that, but then to, going forward, we really do need to have that engagement uh, with, the, uh, with the way the healthcare pro, uh, services have been provided for us to also have the information required uh, for our you know, uh, subset of um, health uh, difficulties that are probably specific to us, but it's when we are able to engage in those processes that those informations come from. And so again, just to buttress that, that it's really important that we try to participate in these uh, uh, trials as much as possible. Okay, all right. Um, 
also, yeah. can I just add to it? And when you have COVID, um, they say it depends on the severity of your symptoms, the amount of antibodies or the, the way your body mounts a response to the virus. And so when you have the vaccine, you know that you it's, there's no variability in the amount of antibodies. It's sort of, you know that everybody who's had this vaccine, most of them will have this level of response as opposed to somebody who didn't know they were they had COVID and then their antibody levels are basically minimal and they think, oh, well, I'm protected. You're not as protected as if you have the vaccine that gives you this level and there's no variability to it. So I think that having the vaccine gives you that sturdy boost in your immunity and your response to this virus. And that can't, you can't get it from just getting COVID either asymptomatic or symptomatic. ITU means you had a, you know, you had a pretty bad experience or pretty bad and you might have mounted your antibodies, but we don't know for how long. So if you have the vaccine, we're all now on the same page and we all are able to sort of measure and see how people are responding to this um, vaccine and the antibodies and for how long they are going to be able to have immunity to the virus. Okay, um, Pastor Dinwiddie, this question is, is for you as the pastor. Why are the churches not united? There are different pastors and prophets that are taking different positions on this issue. That's why you're the pastor and you have to answer that question. And I'm the one asking the question, so I don't have to answer it. Pastor Go, I'm sure you would answer the question after I have answered the question by giving us a broader um, view of whether pastors are united or not. But I can just speak on behalf of the pastor that I know, pastors that I've, I have come across. And I haven't come across any pastor at all who has said to me, I do not believe in the vaccine. I would rather pray. Most people have said, let us pray and let us go for the vaccine. The same way, like I think it was um, Dr. Jibade that talked about paracetamol. Or I think it was Dr. Saka, actually, that talked about paracetamol, taking tablets and praying. Any disease, any condition you have, what you have to have in mind is that the God has given us the wisdom. It is God that has given the scientific community and the medical community wisdom to bring out the vaccine. So we have to respect that. Now, as... Um, any professional, you cannot argue with any professional. So you have doctors in the panel. You have Pastor Agu, who is a senior pastor. I cannot argue with him because he knows his stuff and the medical doctors know their stuff. I'm a pharmacist, I know my stuff. So we can't argue with that. We just have to respect that. So in terms of pastors not uniting, I am not too sure that's very true. But what I can say to that is, Take it from me today. I am one of the pastors and we are united. Most pastors are united. Thank you. Okay. Um, I, I think I think I, I think what the person, I mean, I there, there are one or two, I mean, there have been some high-profile pastors who have fanned the flames of um uh who have fanned the flames of uh an anti-vax lobby um in terms of being against this this thing, and you know that that's I say to people that in 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 Asfair, I mean, we, I sat with pastors today. Doc and I sat with Pastor Matthew Ashimolowo, Bishop Tedroy Powell, Bishop Delroy Powell, Bishop Rose Hudson Hudson Wilkins. I mean, these are some of the senior pastors. 
um, that 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 are in this country, and all of us were on the same page. Um, now, of course, there are some pastors who are on the opposing side, but then in terms of views, but that's normal. Pastors are human beings, you know. So, you know, human beings take different sides uh, in in any discussion or any argument, um, and so it's up to you with the information that is presented to you, with your walk with the Holy Spirit, for you to make an informed decision. Um, so that's what I say to people. In the same way that we just saw in America, uh, the Christian church divide over the election. Um, and there were Christians on one side who were convinced that Trump was God's answer to America's problems. And there were Christians on the other side, uh, including some very close friends of mine who were not. It's the way of life. So. You know, we don't ask you to look to men. We ask you to look to God and be guided by the information that is presented to you. Of course, you can be influenced by people who you look up to, but let everyone take responsibility for their own lives um, themselves. And that leads me to the penultimate question, which is, will Pastor Agu and the leadership of the church be taking the vaccine? Um, well, I can answer that. Um, categorically, I, I wouldn't speak for the leadership of the church because, of course, we don't coerce each other into doing things. But I can categorically speak for myself and my wife that as soon as they give us a slot, we will be taking the vaccine. I can tell you that categorically. Um, and I, I, I can speak for my wife. But the rest of the leaders will, all, will make up their minds. Uh, the same way you're making your mind up um, as to whether you will take the vaccine. So we come to the end, and I'm, I'm going to give, give everybody one, one last word to say about anything that has been said. Um, so just think about it. But before I do that, I'm kind of going to put you on the spot um, by asking you, okay, Buki, you have taken the vaccine. Um, so I want to ask, um, Jibade, have you taken the vaccine? I have, Pastor. And... Um... And I would encourage everyone to go and take it. Okay. Um, um, Tony, have you taken the vaccine in America? Yes. I got my two doses, fully vaccinated January 21. Okay. Um, then really, have you taken the vaccine? Yes. Senior pastor, Jesus House. Yes, I have. There. <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay. Benga, have you taken the vaccine? Yes, and with my Koro Koro eyes, I looked at the vial. There's nothing inside of it. <laughs> okay, and then lastly, Simi, have you taken the vaccine? Yes, I have. I have taken my first dose. Okay. For a second, when you didn't say anything, I thought I thought that was you trying to say you you you, you were muted, so you couldn't speak. You didn't want us to know whether you had taken it or not. Well. Well, guys, that, that's, that's, we've come to the end of this. One last word from every, every one of our panelists. Anything you want to say, maybe an, an encouragement, whatever, something that hasn't been mentioned. So if we start, um, if we start with, uh, with Tony, um, one last word. Just, uh, just do it. I'm glad to have been part of this amazing panel. Thank you for sharing your insights and Again, the goal is to have you make an informed decision and hopefully we've been able to help you do that and just do it. So thank you. Thank you. Jibade, you want to one last word? Uh, I think it's been amazing just to talk about, um, you know, the worries and the questions that people have around the vaccine tonight. And hopefully, I hope we've been able to bring some information towards that. 
and to help people make decisions that's going to be helpful. And the important thing about this um, pandemic is that it's one of those where you have to act as a community to get rid of the, of the virus. You know, it's something that we have to look after each other and to make sure that we can get to the end of where we want to go. So please let's all see the information that has been provided and, and make decisions about it. Thank you. Okay. Um, Buki, what do you, one last word from you? Um, I would say, take the vaccine. Um, during the 21 for 21 day uh, prayer, and we used to pray about the angel of death. It actually came to me that this virus is definitely the angel of death because the way people are dying and young people are dying. So we are, if we don't do anything about it, a whole generation of productive people would either, even if they don't die, would have the mobility as in all the COVID long and everything. And it will just be disastrous. So I think that the vaccine is the solution to the economic effect of COVID, the educational effect of COVID, the psychological effect of COVID, spiritual effect of COVID, because whether we like it or not, it's affecting everybody's mental health. So go ahead, have the vaccine, and it will do you a lot of good, more than you think it would, all right? Okay, um, Simi, one last word. Um, I just wanted to say that it's um, thank you for having us on the panel. But it's to everyone who's watching, I would like to say that it's okay to have concerns. You know, I don't want people to feel that we are forcing them to do anything. It's okay to have concerns, it's okay to have questions. The purpose of tonight was to reassure you, to try and explain what we know based on our, our experience and our knowledge. Um, and don't feel guilty for having your concerns. Listen to what has been said, make your own informed decision and, and do what you know is right. Okay, uh, Benga, one last word. Yes, uh, my appeal would be to those that have pre-existing medical conditions, particularly if you have diabetes, um, if, you, if you have high blood pressure, if you have cancer, if you have sickle cell disease. These are conditions that already puts you at a disadvantage if you come into hospital such that the likelihood of you being able to come out is already compromised by your pre-existing medical condition. So please review your position, make an informed decision as to what you want to do. The vaccine is there for you to have. And then relate the last word. I think, I'll, thank you for having us. Um, I want to say to everyone that you should confront your fear, you know, there's, God has not given us the re, the, any reason to fear. He has not given us that spirit to fear. He has given us power and a sound mind. And we need to walk in that and just face our fear. The second thing I like to say is that, you know, I, I was very, very apprehensive at first about taking the vaccine, but I looked at the hope that we have by me being selfless, by being ensuring that even if I get COVID, I do not pass it to other people. And that's the spirit that God expects from us. So I'm going to encourage you to please go for the vaccine. When you get the letter, don't shred that letter. Go for the vaccination centers and get the vaccines. God bless you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And then just um, um, a, a lovely lady, the lady who sent the question about the 
the multiple sclerosis um, sent me a direct message um, and just says, um, please uh, encourage those listening um, that just because we have the vaccine doesn't mean we let go of our health. We should please look after ourselves and our immune systems. Um, that, that, that I wanted to end on that note uh, from her. So just wanted to once again, thank um, you all uh, for giving us your time um, and the benefit of your expertise. Um, it has been enlightening for me, um, uh, even though I was you know, kind of asking the questions. And I'm certain it has been um, for most of those who are listening. Um, it's an ongoing conversation. We, we will continue the conversation in just in terms of bringing information, um, addressing concerns, um, and, and, and leaving people to make the right decision um, because they have the, the right information. And um, for for those who are listening, I, I just I thank you for being a part of it. Uh, without you, we, we, we couldn't have talked to ourselves. Uh, and we hope that in, in, in some way it has brought some information that you can use uh, to make these informed decisions. Um, we started with prayer. Um, so I guess I, I think it, it will be proper for us to end in prayer because having done all, uh, we know that ultimately it is God's grace and God's mercies that preserves us. And, and we are here simply because of that. Um, and, and thankfully, all those of you uh, who are on the panel are all believers. And, and despite the fact that you're accomplished doctors, um, you know that uh, you can give the medicine and give the vaccines, but the healer is Christ, uh, and it is God who protects uh, us. So let's end on that note as we commit um, those who are listening into God's hands. Um, and uh, well, someone just came in and just had a question. Um, okay, I mean, because of, the, because of the circumstances, I'm going to throw this out there, please. Can I just have one member of the panel, maybe two max, just, just address it. And I'm doing this because of the circumstances. Uh, she says, I just came in. Um, she said, I had triple heart valve replacement and I'm currently breastfeeding my baby. Is it okay to take the vaccine? I, also, I am on, I think it's called warfarin. I'm sure you know what that is. I have no clue what that is. So can someone just take that question very quickly? Just, just let's give her that, let's grant her that because of the circumstances and then we pray. She can have the vaccine if she's breastfeeding. She can definitely have it. And secondly, because she's on a blood thinner, which is a which is the warfarin, she can also have the vaccine. There is no okay. contraindication to it. All right. Okay. So that answers your question, Antonia. Um, and then we pray. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for this opportunity. We thank you, Father, for all your children who have been on this panel. Um, we, are, we are so clear that the Spirit of God was in absolute control, uh, answering the questions using them, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we thank you for all those who have been listening. Lord, we know ultimately that our protection rests with you. And so we commit everyone who's, on, who's been on this platform and all those who will listen, because it's a resource that will go to many, many more churches, thousands of churches possibly. We commit all those who will listen into your hands. We ask, Lord, that you will 
protect, you will, you will, uh, you will keep us safe, Heavenly Father, um, that you will help us to make the right decisions, that Holy Spirit, you will lead and guide us. Uh, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we join our faith together to pray once again for an end to this virus. Father, we ask, oh God, that you will do it. We believe that you can do it and you will do it in a supernatural way. Bring an end to this virus. We take this opportunity to pray for those who have lost loved ones, who are grieving. And we just ask that your, your spirit will comfort them, Heavenly Father. We also pray for those who are dealing with mental health issues as a result of the pressure of this season that we find ourselves in. Father, we commit each one into your, into your hands, O oh God, that you will strengthen their minds, Heavenly Father, that you will cause help to come, Almighty and everlasting God. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you for joining us in this conversation. God bless you. Pastor, God bless you. Pastor, thank you very to, much. Pastor, just to mention, um, questions came in. Some people have just joined and um, they can rewatch the program on YouTube. Um, so if anyone's just joined or you want to just watch it again, you can watch on YouTube. Okay. And then, and then someone asked if they could, how they could send it to uh, members of their family and and others other friends well you can do the same just give them the link on youtube and they can watch it on youtube god bless you thank you very much pastor thank you pastor thank you pastor. thank you very much pastor yeah. thanks a lot thank you thank you god bless bless you thank you bye bye